You have heard prophet, priest, king. But what exactly does that mean? A mediator, which is a go-between. And there are three for you and me. Welcome. Hello, Hopeful. This is Roger Corville, and this is for the Hope's Always Be Ready segment, where we supplement our daily Bible read-through with a short exploration of an idea, something that relates to us thinking more strategically and biblically and living more effectively as Sunday morning touches down on Monday morning. And usually on Fridays around here, I try to find a lighter story and draw out a teachable moment from it. But today, there are no pumpkin boats. (laughs) Today is Good Friday. And it's the day when we often, as Christians, observe as remembrance the day Jesus died on the cross, one of the most brutal deaths in all of history. And it may seem like a weird thing to celebrate, and to be honest, it does have a solemnity to it. But when we realize what happened that day, I hope the horror fills you with amazement and hope. Today, we wrap up this Always Be Ready segment series on looking at and for the real Jesus, not just for ourselves, but for us being able to help those around us. You see, 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that there is but one mediator between God and man, talking about Jesus, of course, but in the Old Testament, there are three mediatorial offices, prophet, priest, and king. A prophet, generally speaking, was a spokesperson an agent of revelation from God. And as we frequently hear in our Bible read-through, there's a lot of struggle between true and false prophets, which I know, of course, you find surprising because people always want to hear what a good, loving creator has to say, right? (laughs) Hashtag not. So if, in a sense, prophets faced the people on behalf of God, priests faced God on behalf of the people. He, meaning the prophet, would speak for the people instead of to them, would intercede on their behalf, would offer sacrifices for them and pray for them. Now, the big kahuna sacrifice of all the whole year was the Day of Atonement made by the high priest once a year. But before he could do that, he had to make sacrifices for his own sin. Now, less obvious in the Old Testament is the mediatorial role of king. But the principle is really straightforward. The king of Israel didn't have complete autonomous authority. He was under the law of God and responsible for establishing and maintaining God's law. And they were especially accountable for that, for the whole nation. Earthly kings and presidents are still accountable to God's moral law, but... I digress. Now, at the heart of Old Testament expectancy of the Messiah was that said Messiah, the anointed one, this one promised and sent by God, would be prophet, priest, and, yeah, king. And I'll give you three guesses how that was fulfilled. Now, Jesus is not just the subject of prophecy. He is the chief object of prophecy. He didn't just teach about the future or prophetically declare the word of God. He is the word of God, and he is the focal point of all the prophetic teaching of the Old Testament. Of course, he's the great and perfect high priest, too. 
One key piece of evidence of the higher nature of Jesus' priesthood is the fact that he did not have to make any sacrifices for his own sin before entering the temple. The sacrifice he offered was once for all, and it was not an animal sacrifice. He offered himself. Because, as Hebrews 10.4 puts it, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He is priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, continuing his mediatorial work even to, yeah, right now, this moment, not by continually offering sacrifices to satisfy the justice of God, but by interceding for his people in the heavenly holy of holies within the heavenly temple. And just as Christ is both the subject and object of prophecy, he is the subject and object of the priesthood. He's the perfect priest and perfect intermediary now and forever. And yes, we are right also to consider him king. Jesus holds the highest governmental office in the universe because he has been elevated to that position by God, which is at the heart of what we referred to here uh, earlier this week, the Apostles' Creed. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Now, my friends, to be at the right hand of God is to be in the position of authority by which he rules not just the church, but also the world. Our Messiah is not only prophet and priest, but also our king. And that's why on Easter we use shorthand language, put an exclamation point on our own proclamation. Indeed, Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. My friends, theologically, philosophically, and existentially in the most practical ways, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are idiots still in our sin. But he did rise from the dead. We know it historically. We know it biblically. We know it intellectually. And we know it experientially. And I pray that this Easter you not only overflow with the words, God be praised, hallelujah, but that you're ready to help the person next to you get to know the real Jesus because he's risen. He's risen indeed. I love you, my friends. Amen. Happy Easter. Amen.